The Nonprofit Hour, a weekly look at Portland's nonprofits and do gooders, with interviews, profiles, and documentaries. This is the Nonprofit Hour, brought to you by the Media Institute for Social Change. I'm Jason Dennington. This week, we have a special show that includes not just our usual interviews with people doing great work with our local nonprofit organizations, but also some live performances from a couple musical acts and storytellers. This past Friday, November 13th, at the Alberta Rose Theater, was a benefit event for the Hugh Housen Foundation called Notes of Hope. The HHH Foundation is a nonprofit that was founded in 2005 in the memory of Hugh Howard Housen, a U of O graduate and Nike employee who passed away from cancer at the age of 25. During the time of Hugh's cancer treatment, it became apparent that while many hospital oncology programs are well prepared to treat pediatric or older cancer patients, adolescent and young adult patients were an age group that was being neglected with special treatment that addressed their unique concerns. The foundation gives support to these patients with counseling, transportation assistance, fertility information, a creative writing program to help with processing the thoughts and emotions of the experience, and backpacks stuffed with items such as puzzle books, stationery, stamps, gummy candy, fleece beanies, earbuds, handheld electronic games, and warm socks. The foundation is supported by donors and an annual benefit concert, Notes of Hope, which brings together musical acts, comedians, and storytellers, most of which come from the foundation's creative writing program. On today's show, Phil Bussey speaks with Becky Bronstein, the Notes of Hope MC and Jenny Conley, its musical director. We will also be hearing music and stories that we recorded live at the event last Friday. So now, here's Phil with Becky Bronstein and Jenny Conley from Notes of Hope. This is Phil Bussey, and it's the Meaty Institute for Social Changes Nonprofit Hour. I'm really pleased to have two guests in the studio with me today, Becky Bronstein, who was the MC for Notes of Hope, uh, which was an event last Friday, which we will be flashing back to throughout today's show, and Jenny Conley, who was the music director yes. for that event. Uh, welcome to you both. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks a lot for having us. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so, so, Becky and Jenny, um, Notes of Hope is an event that has happened now eight years yeah, it's eight years long. I've been involved for three, and this is Becky's first year. It is, yeah. Um, the event was created initially to honor uh, Bethany Hartung and Hugh Housen, who are two uh, of our community members who are very well liked, who lost their lives at a young age from cancer. Um, and it's it's a benefit show uh, to raise money for the Hugh Howard Housen Foundation and the OHSU Adolescent and Young Adult Oncology Program. And, and in particular, I mean, what... Uh, Hugh was mid twenties, right? And and it was very specific what what happened to him, or at least what services weren't available for him, which is in part what the foundation does. Am, am I right with that? 
Yes. Uh, being a, a young adult in, you know, 20s, 30s, that general age range is is kind of a strange experience in the cancer world because so many services are set up for children with cancer or for older people with cancer. But that that sort of middle age range gets left out a lot. Like, you know, there was a story told about how when Hugh was receiving treatment, uh, you know, they, they gave him a teddy bear because that was what they did for every patient, you know? And he was like, I'm, I'm like an adult. What am I going to yeah, do with this? Every 25-year-old man wants a teddy bear. It's right. <laughs> so, I mean, it just, he, he kind of thought, you know, this is so strange. There's nothing for this age range. And, you know, like one of the things that the HHH Foundation does is provide, you know, services, comfort items, backpacks full of things to young adult cancer patients. They saved up their, they would they'd do small gifts, and then they ended up, they saved money, so they bought a plasma screen TV so they could do Nintendo, so the kids can go out in the recreation room and play together, and um, you know, iPads so they can watch their favorite shows in, while they're in bed and can't leave their rooms, just things that normal people would be doing at that age. Because um, you really need, both of us know from going through tr- um, treatment, you need to be distracted and get out of your head for a moment. And this is up at OHSU. Mm-hmm. Can can we just give a scope of um, what we're talking about? How how many people are are being served each year by the uh, Hugh Howard Houston uh, Foundation, the HHH Foundation? Well, you know, honestly, I didn't go through this program, but Becky, you might have a better scope since you were up there. But I'm going to say probably they do probably at least a hundred backpacks. I mean, that seems like they have tons of them. And plus the, the bigger gifts, they definitely use it on the whole ward, so with the whole floor. So actually, we don't have exact numbers of that. Um, the creative writing program, which you are a part of, you could probably speak to that. Yeah, the creative writing program is through the OHSU uh, Adolescent and Young Adult Oncology Program. And it's, it's a group where young adult cancer survivors and cancer patients can get together and write about their feelings, their experiences, or, you know, just anything they want to kind of express themselves. And it's really helping, you know, tell our stories. And that's kind of funnels into, you know, this sort of event where people are actually getting up and talking about their experience. And it's just such an important thing to do because it's it's a voice that is not often heard in the, the cancer area. And, and later in the show, we're going to be actually listening to some of the stories uh, that that came through the creative writing program. Some of the stories that were told at Notes of Hope uh, at the event. I want to take. We're going to take a quick music break. Uh, this is the nonprofit hour. I'm speaking with Becky Bronstein, who is was the MC for Notes of Hope, and with Jenny Conley, who is the music director for Notes of Hope, which benefits the HHH Foundation. Uh, we're going to take a quick music break, which is actually listening to one of the bands that played at the event. This will be Trash Can Joe. Fantastic. Wow. Well, as we see all the time in this world, it's loaded with shark attacks at every turn. If it's attacks on us as people, if it's sickness, if it's typhoons, earthquakes, or the presidency of Donald Trump. I can't even say those words without feeling a little nauseous. So we're going to go out with this song, which is one of our favorites, a little reminder that we need to always, no matter what, be enjoying ourselves every second that we're alive on this earth, no matter what happens, you know? (sighs) 
work and work for years and years. You're always on the go. You never take a minute off. Too busy making dough. Someday you say you'll have your fun when you're a millionaire. Imagine all the fun you'll have in your old rocking chair. Enjoy yourself. It's later than you think. Enjoy yourself while you're still in the pink. The years go by as quickly as a wink. Enjoy yourself, enjoy yourself, it's later than you think. Come on. Enjoy yourself, enjoy yourself, it's later than you think. Captain James Cook on the Trash Can Joe. Phil Bussey, it's the Nonprofit Hour on X-Ray FM. That was Trash Can Joe playing at uh, Notes of Hope, which is an, an annual event which benefits the HHA's HHH Foundation, uh, foundation created eight years ago, and to uh, help bring services and assistance and care to young adults who are uh, working through cancer recovery. 
Um, Becky, can we can we talk about can we talk about you? You're a local comedian. I am. Yes. You're funny. I hope so. Yes. <laughs> That's. <laughs> yep. I'm. I'm a comedian. I've been in Portland here for five years. Moved here from Alaska. It's been a wild ride. Um, what brought you down? What brought you from Alaska? Well, uh, pursuing my comedy career and my cancer experience, I needed to get some better medical care, which you know is not incredibly available in Alaska. So I wanted to be closer to OHSU, um, which was kind of prompted the move. I moved right after I was diagnosed and initially kind of treated. Um, and I'm really glad I did because OHSU has been fabulous. They they have been just wonderful. My doctors are great. Um, the support services that I personally received through the OHSU Adolescent and Young Adult Oncology Program, like the support group, the writing group, um, you know, individual one-on-one -on -one support with counselors, like it's just been life-changing. I mean, so I, I really feel good, you know, having supported this event and, you know, these organizations. That's tough, though. I mean, I mean, obviously getting a diagnosis is incredibly difficult, but then you said you moved shortly after there. That would seem really difficult to leave familiar context and, and uh, you know, potentially what was a support network. Yeah, we moved away uh, from my family. I have no family here. I didn't know anybody here. Um, but I knew that I needed to kind of make a change in my life. I needed to, to move forward. And I love Alaska. It's my home. But, you know, I just didn't have the opportunities there that I do here, both in, you know, the performing world and with, you know, cancer treatment. Um, and I I was dealing with, I mean, having thyroid cancer, which is, you know, what I have, it, you know, every surgery would be like right next to your vocal cords, the nerve that controls your voice. And like as a performer, that was, you know, terrifying. So I needed to... I needed to make some hard choices, and I'm really glad I did. That everybody's been wonderful. And and let's talk a little bit about your uh, your comedy career. I mean, so you do. I mean, you do a lot. You do sketch. You do improv. Uh, you, you do stand up. Yes, yes. I, I mean, those are all different gears <laughs> in the comedy you know comedy world, right? Very much. I actually got my start doing just scripted acting, and then kind of evolved into sketch comedy, and then improv. I was in an improv comedy troupe in Alaska. Because uh, that's kind of all we had at the time. I mean, there was no stand-up scene up there. There just it didn't. It w I didn't realize it was an option. And then, you know, coming to Portland, there was this huge, you know, exciting stand-up scene. And I thought, wow, you know, I can be in charge of my own thing. And like, I only got to rely on myself. Let's do this, you know. And it's it's been awesome. I mean, people are so great. Comedy fans are wonderful here. I I, I made a great choice by a, totally at random. Great choice. Yeah, uh, give me a little bit some more insights into the Portland comedy scene. You said that the the audiences here are great. Um, do you think that that's something that is is truly different than Seattle or Los Angeles or Anchorage? <laughs> well, I can tell you, it's very different than Anchorage, considering that there's just a handful of stand-up comedians that did not even exist when I lived there. Um, there, yeah, stand-up just wasn't even like you'd get one stand-up comedian a year who would like go to you know the college or the arena and it would be somebody nationally known there wasn't a local scene so then coming here and having all these like grassroots performers who were just putting on shows putting out podcasts i mean just moving and shaking it was very exciting that you could be part of something on a local level and it is it's it's a huge community there are well over a hundred you know very active stand-up comedians in portland who run shows who are involved in all kinds of media you know things. There's the Bridgetown Comedy Festival, which is massive. I mean, it's 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 definitely a national, nationally recognized scene, which is great. I mean, you have L.A., which is obviously the entertainment capital. It's so saturated, you know. But here, it's very 
handmade. It's it's you know it's it's different. It's Portland, <laughs> you know. But yeah, it's it's wonderful. It's kind of do-it-yourself comedy. It's great. Yeah, it's it it is. It's a very fun. It's been fun to watch it it grow and to get to the spot where it is and and to host or support so many comedians. Have you had has your cancer informed any of your performances? Uh. No, I, <laughs> I have not. I have not talked about my cancer experience uh, in my comedy, which I'm not sure what that says or what that means. I mean, you know, like you've got famous, like Tig Notaro. She's the famous comedian cancer survivor who talks very much about it. That's a tough act to follow. I, <laughs> I don't know. It just doesn't come to me. I, I read about kind of random things, so it. I don't know, but I'm I'm ready. Like you know, having done this event, this was kind of the per the first time that I talked about my personal experience in detail on stage in public you know and I mean it, it felt good to finally be able to do that because that that is my truth it's something that was very frightening for me very serious you know and to just put it out there and say you know I'm, I'm almost on the other side of it now I kind of feel okay about it is a wonderful thing. Becky Bronstein uh, was the MC for Notes of Hope and boy Becky you really couldn't have set up this next audio clip any better uh, <laughs> this uh, we are going to go to a recording from last Friday's Friday's Notes of Hope, which is an annual event which helps fund the HHH Foundation. Uh, and this is a, a recording uh, from, from Becky as the MC. So after that, they send me to get nuked. You know, I'm going to do radioactive iodine, which, like, what, am I going to get superpowers? <laughs> like, am I going to glow in the dark? What is this? <laughs> but to get ready for radioactive iodine, what I had to do was go off my thyroid replacement medicine which is the battery that powers me. You know, like if you keep going off of the pill, like you'll die. But like they catch you right before you die. So also for two weeks leading up to treatment, you can't eat anything with iodine in it. That is an amazing amount of food. Like anything with salt in it, any prepackaged food, no dairy, like nothing. So I go into the hospital, into this lead-lined isolation room, and like everything you bring into that room has to be destroyed, like including the clothes on your back. So I'm in this room, just a bloated shell of a human being, living on carrots and lettuce in an outfit that is south of laundry day. <laughs> and in come three doctors in moon suits with masks and boots and they're wheeling in this cart, you know, and it's got a canister on it and like the guy's got tongs, you know, and he reaches down in there and pulls out this little blue pill and shoves it in my face and everybody steps back, you know, <laughs> and he goes, take the pill. <laughs> so I took the pill and everybody runs for the door and they're all standing outside the doorway, like peeking in, you know? <laughs> and the one guy like reaches the Geiger counter in there, just boop, boop, beep, beep, and then they seal the door. Psh, you know, like I'm in there for three days. Yeah. And every day they measure me with the Geiger counter because I am literally radioactive to see whether or not I can be released into society. On day three, I should have been good to go. But the guy measured me and goes, you are still reading exactly the same as when you took the pill. Something is wrong with you, you know? We find out he's been measuring the trash can. 
So they move the trash and I get to go. <laughs> and like I busted out of there like the Kool-Aid man. Like I went straight home, ate two bacon cheeseburgers and passed out face down on the floor. I was done, son. And there's nothing they can say or do for another 12 months. So I got the F out of Alaska and I came to Portland. And now in Alaska, when they took out my thyroid, they also took out 10 lymph nodes, all 10 of which were positive for metastatic cancer. Red flags may be going off in your mind and you would be correct because it turns out those rotten little apples spoil the goddamn bunch. So we had to go in for another surgery and the second one was a lot gnarlier than the first one. And they took out 80 lymph nodes from this general area. And when they were explaining it to me that I was gonna to have to have this surgery, they explained that it was called a modified radical neck dissection. <laughs> Having performed a dissection on both a frog and a rat, <laughs> with a 0% survival rate, I was not excited about this, and I shouldn't have been. It sucked. I had to sign a paper, because this is what you do when you have cancer, you sign papers. I had to sign a paper that said, I understand that this procedure will, for sure, leave me with permanent nerve damage for the rest of my life. And I signed the paper, which was a huge lie, because I didn't understand, and I couldn't possibly have understood, because nobody can understand what that really means but you buy the ticket, take the ride, you know, <laughs> like, there we go. Recovering from that surgery was, without a doubt, the hardest, most painful, horrifying time in my life. Like, it was, so, it was dark, you know, like, this was like so, I'm, I'm laughing because like, I physically don't know what else to do. It was that horrible. But it kind of gave me a new lease on life a little bit. Because at that time, I hadn't been performing in a while. Like, it had been a while since I'd been on stage because I was going through all this. I thought, I just went through that. That was like the hardest thing ever. I can't not do this anymore. Back in the studio, this is Phil Bussey. I'm the host for the Nonprofit Hour. I'm really pleased to be with two guests today, Becky Bronstein, who is the MC host for Notes of Hope, and Jenny Conley, who is the music director. And again, HHH Foundation is an organization that was created eight years ago uh, to provide support, provide services uh, age appropriate uh, for uh, men and women who are working through cancer. Um, Becky, thank you for, for sharing that. And um, I, so I want to I want to shift gears a little bit more. We, we've been speaking a little bit in general about uh, HHH Foundation. I'm really interested in the creative writing program, and I'm hoping that uh, one or both of you can talk about it. Have, have you, either of you been involved with the creating writing program? You know, I have not. I actually got treated at Providence, and I felt like, oh. dang, I wish I could have been doing that <laughs> stuff. But uh, Becky, you have been through that. I Yeah, I actually participated in the creative writing program. Um, I, I haven't recently because I've, I've had a lot going on, you know, in my schedule, but I found it very valuable because it, it kind of forces you to just sit down and be quiet and think, you know, about what you're really feeling and you can put it out there 
And the whole group is young adult cancer survivors who totally get it. They understand. You don't have to censor yourself. You don't have to worry about what do they think. And it's just, it's an amazing opportunity to, to put out there your, your real feelings and what you're really going through. And if you're feeling hateful, you can, you can just be incredibly hateful on paper. And it's, it's fair. It's fine. We all understand. You know, it's, it's a great way to work through what you're feeling. I mean, obviously, as a comedian, um, you already are a writer, and you the writing process, I imagine, was pretty well-developed for you. Um, how, how was this the creative writing program different? Um, this, this didn't have the pressure of, of performance, of putting forward something that was going to entertain or, you know, make people laugh, hit notes. I mean, this was kind of you could write whatever you wanted, and you're in this closed private protected space where you know we know that what we say is not going to leave this room and you can kind of get down into the darker stuff because my my comedy could not be less dark I mean it's very you know it's just kind of observational everyday things but for me in that writing group if I was feeling you know terrified frustrated you know talking about these dark times that I went through that were painful and I mean not something I would ever put out on stage publicly it was it was fine to do there it was it was easy everybody got it you know, I could just put it out there without worrying how people felt about it. It was nice. And and Notes of Hope is explicitly raising funds for the creative writing program. And then there's a few other programs as well, like we talked about the counseling program. One of the things that you don't people don't realize about chemotherapy in a young person is your fertility gets um, um, usually goes away. And so there's fertility counseling, which is a very expensive process, you know, saving your saving your eggs if you're a woman and things like that. So that's where some money gets focused. Then there's some really simple day-to-day comfort things like gas cards to help you get to, get to your treatment. Um, you know, maybe groceries or just things of those that sort, just being like, you know, I understand that you're trying to raise a family, maybe. Maybe you're in that phase. Maybe you're a single person and you need extra counseling on, you know, try to be a woman again or whatever after your treatment. There's so many different things that are that are also done in this program. But the creative pr- writing program, I think, is a focus, and it's also where the you can see the focus when you come to the program, and or when you c- came to the program, you can, you know, see those um, storytellers telling telling their stories. Boy, and, and Jenny, you couldn't have queued up our next audio file any better either. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> so at at Notes of Hope, um, part of the performance is and has been a presentation from uh, some of the people who have gone through the creative writing program. Is that correct? It's true. And then to for the performance aspect, which the writing program is not focusing on, we get the Portland Storytellers Guild to, to bring in some mentors to then mentor. So there's a, there's a mentor for each storyteller, and they, they work through their um, story. So it's in a performance mode. Imagine like the moth hour. That's what we're trying to create here is more like a live wire, the moth, like a sharing slash entertainment sort of um, show. So, um, Boy, I mean, that's tough to go from sharing with people that maybe have similar experiences or a small group and to taking it to the stage. It's intense for them. You know, when they go, we go through many table reads and then we have a big dress rehearsal where everyone... You know, gets on stage with a microphone, and they know there's going to be 250 people there, and I think that's also cathartic. It feels like everyone who does it has this moment of like, they're working for something, and then all of a sudden that expelling of those 
words I really think is therapeutic. So I'm I'm always interested every year to see. This is my third year working with this group. It's been such a journey every every time. And Jane, we're going to come back after an, uh, an audio break here and talk a little bit more about the music and and your role with uh, Notes of Hope, but. Can you tell me about a few of the people, or at least the names of, of some of the people who did go through the creative writing program and who presented at Notes of Hope? We are going to hear from Remy Newhouse, Gabe Ballard, Beyonce Sabin, and Alyssa England. And these are all people who have uh, are young adults with cancer that have sh- that's who shared their stories. And they're, they're all very fascinating. And um, are we going to hear a snippet? We are, we are going to hear some, some audio uh, that, that our producer captured at Notes of Hope. This is Jason Dennington. We initially planned to bring you some excerpts of the performances from each of the storytellers at the Notes of Hope event. However, after experiencing the power and beauty of each of their stories, it became clear that it would not do them justice to edit their life stories down to tidbit sound bites. Instead, we will be including all of their performances, complete and unedited, for listening on our SoundCloud page, which can be found under the Nonprofit Hour. For a direct link, you can go to our show page on www.xray.fm. So now, here is one of the storytellers from Notes of Hope last Friday, Gabe Ballard. I am a normal guy. Uh, I grew up here in the Portland area, native Oregonian, did a brief six-year stint in college, graduated from the University of Oregon. Go Ducks. I also hate cancer more than the sound of my voice coming through this PA, so that's why I'm here. Here's my story. Um, I've been struck by lightning twice. I have two birthdays. My second child is technically older than my first, and my third child is named after a stranger in Germany. I'll explain. Uh, It was the spring of 2002. I played soccer on a men's team, and I remember one time going up for a header against a guy, and I hit my arm against him. Um, It hurt, and it was really bad. Not the normal kind of pain. So I thought I broke it, and I uh, ended up at urgent care, and they took x-rays and went to a, another orthopedic, actually put it in a cast, and then he eventually referred me to a specialist, to which I met the doctor there with Kristen, and she pointed to a large mass in the MRI that they saw, and she said bluntly, I can tell it's malignant. You want to take a moment? Uh, The whole exam room at that time just kind of spun around on me, and I kind of got that weird uh, out-of-body experience where I'm looking down on myself, staring at the floor, and I just remember thinking, well, this is not good. This isn't good. Um, After the appointment, Kristen drove me back to my work. Uh, I worked for a small golf manufacturer here in Portland called Pine Meadow Golf. I'd only been there a few months, but I knew I just couldn't be doing what I had been doing, so I thought it was the right thing to resign. And he was supportive. He listened to my explanations, um, followed me all the way through, and then finally turned to me and said, I don't accept the resignation. You're not quitting, and you're going to get through this. Apparently, he was also a psychic. 
part-time dabbler in oncology, maybe, I don't know. For the next nine months, I went through nine rounds of chemo, three surgeries on my left wrist. Um, they put a cadaver bone in the ulna. That's this bone, for those of you that aren't doctors. And I went up to the University of Washington for surgeries and back down to Portland for chemo. Uh, it was like being in a pretty bad dream um, and something I never wanted to experience again, obviously. When you go through multiple rounds of chemo, there is always a chance that it takes away your reproductive ability. And so I was told there was a pretty good chance I'd be infertile, and it may or may not come back. Um, but luckily, before I started chemo, I had someone step in and help me bank my sperm. It's my mother-in-law. <laughs> well, anyways. I made my donation um, about 10 days after being diagnosed. So along with the trauma of uh, being diagnosed, I had to put together a weak attempt to sadly preserve my swimmers at a doctor's office. Um, but I recovered. I got my life back. I felt invincible. A couple years later, my wife and I talked about having our first child. I knew I had the option of my banked reserves, so no problem. But instead, we had a big surprise. So in January of 2005, my wife came to me with a pink line in the pregnancy test. She was pregnant. My swimmers were back. <laughs> now, I really felt invincible now. So I mean, yeah, I was glad that we were going to have a baby. But I was productive again at something. Um, so later that year, uh, in September, Kristen gave birth to our son, Caden. And obviously, I was on top of the world and just excited to be able to hold that little guy. So I, at that point, had been cancer-free for over three years. I uh, was working for the same company, traveling a lot for a job I loved. Um, I was really starting to get into a groove. Um, I, it was the winter, so I had been fighting a little bit of a cold and a flu that time. And I was also happened to be traveling for a trade show in Reno. I got a call from my physician. And, he said, uh, he'd like to see me tomorrow. Said, well, I'm out of town. Look, if there's something I can do, I've been through everything. Don't worry. Uh, just tell me. Just level with me. I'm, I'm, I'm good. And so I was on the phone with him, and he hesitated. And he said, well, there may be a chance of acute myeloid leukemia. I said, I'm on the phone. That's rude. Don't tell me that. So this time, I was in a hotel room. I uh, had the same odd feeling of being outside myself and just kind of looking down at the floor. So fast forward another week, I end up at OHSU. And I had a great doctor, Dr. Kovacevic, Dr. K. And he was pretty distant and pretty cold at first and didn't really want to talk about anything like odds of survival. or um, He just simply said, look, if..." With the previous cancer and your current diagnosis, transplant with maybe 50%. If I didn't have transplant, uh, survival would be less than 20%. So all stats aside, my, my body was shutting down, and the ability to produce blood cells uh, was diminishing rapidly. Um, but there was hope. Uh, with a donor that matched up with my DNA, the odds would be a lot better. And the best chance would be my full sibling. I have one full sibling, one sister, Carmen, 
And I knew if I asked her, she'd be there in a heartbeat. So, um, but there's only 25% chance that she'd be the match with my HLA typing. So she took the test and we waited for the results. And she didn't match. Um, but the team at OHSU went to work quickly with uh, the National Marrow Donor Program. And they keep a database of all the marrow donors uh, across the world, in fact. And so they did find a 12 for 12 match, which is the highest match you can get, with an 18-year-old male in Germany. I was relieved to just have a match. Um, and let's be honest, to have to hear every birthday or Thanksgiving about how she saved my life. <laughs> Come on. So, I remember asking the, another doctor at that point, how do you get leukemia? How does this come on? What, what brings this about? What did I do? And he said, stop whining. And then he said, you've basically been struck by lightning twice. So, uh, in the beginning of summer of 2006, I ended up at the hospital on the hill my transplant came in a little cooler carried across the world by a volunteer. They fly commercial, by the way. And she delivered the marrow all the way from the transplant center in Germany to a hospital room in Portland. It was a bag of blood, nothing too crazy. And um, my donor did have a very high level of capab or capability, compatibility with my typing. I was just relieved and fortunate to have a full match donor available. So I did catch a glimpse of the girl as she left uh, carrying my lifeline in an igloo, and then I promptly fell back asleep on the hospital bed. So some guy on the other side of the world is getting poked and prodded, taking drugs to stimulate the marrow inside his bloodstream, and then collected days before I'm getting my immune system completely wiped out by a random assortment of drugs. The timing for this process is critical, and I had to basically bring my cells back after the transfusion and go from no immune system and no energy to a fully German-engineered, recharged <laughs> person, minus the Volkswagen hiccup with the, the diesel bypass thing. And it was Bastille Day, uh, July 14, 2006. So I celebrate that as my second birthday. And thank you. I recovered. My body began to get uh, normal again with a mix of steroids and some other medications. Um, a couple of years after transplant, my wife and I were thinking about having another child. Um, based on the fact that I was told earlier that now, now you're 90% sure you're not going to have a child. You're, you're sterile. I went to OHSU for a much happier reason. We met with a doctor that used my reserves from before in 2002, and we did in vitro. So, bear with me, I have to do a little bit of math here, but in June of 2009, my wife gave birth to our second child, Paige. Beautiful baby girl, and she's modern science's little miracle, but she's technically older than the first. <laughs> I haven't told her yet. So for young adults, it's not something you typically uh, think about, especially if you're worried about just staying on this side of the ground. But having the option to 
have a child is a big deal. And having survived now and being in my 30s, I, I wanted the option to do that. So I was really glad that that option was available to me. And about the same time that Paige was born, I signed a release form to release my information to the donor center over in Germany. And the donor in Germany released his information as well. So I basically found out his name was Christoph, and he was from a small town near the Czech Republic in Germany. And I went on with my life. I had a couple of young kids now. My life was getting back to normal. And then Kristen and I had a, another surprise. Uh, unbeknownst to me, my swimmers came back again. <laughs> so two years after Paige was born, my wife gave birth to our third baby boy, and we named him Accident. At, I mean, <laughs> Adam Kristoff. He was beautiful. We love him, like our own son. And I guess I kind of put off thinking about what it would be like uh, to meet Krista, um, ultimately, who I shared the same genetic code with, uh, the same blood code. But in August of this year, um, he decided that he wanted to come to the United States for the first time. And so he did that with his girlfriend, Senta. And they landed in Seattle, and so we met them there. And it was a little awkward at first. I didn't know how to react. And I suppose they thought that they would be here to see cowboys and honky-tonk bars because they told me they wanted to see cowboys and honky-tonk bars. <laughs> and I told them, Portland isn't quite the Wild West that they expect to see, but I'll do my best to show them around. And so it's difficult to know how you're going to react to someone that ultimately gave you the ability to save your own life. I don't know. Um, but we had an amazing five days. He's super modest, easygoing. Um, we explored Seattle. Um, we went to a rodeo in Central Oregon. <laughs> Saw some cowboys. Uh, we went to Hood River. We watched a baseball game, got drunk in Hillsboro. Um, and actually met up with close friends and family, even my nurses, Jackie and Amber. And they all got to meet him. So I'm just forever grateful that the people who were there to support me, care for, and uh, who brought me back. Um, I'm 39 now. I have three beautiful children. I have a beautiful wife, who is the love of my life. And I just finished the Portland Marathon last month for the first time. Yeah. Please do not look up my name and my time. Just doesn't, just, I finished. Um, still play soccer. My golf game still sucks. And I play music, and I'm just grateful to be here. Um, here's the thing I found. There is zero, there is no good age, and there is no real point in your life where it's okay to have cancer. I hated it and I hate all that it's taken away from so many. Um, but I love being here, and I love all the crap that it entails, and it's worth it to be here. Um, I never wanted the experience to define me. I never want the title of cancer boy or cancer guy. Um, the disease is not who I am. I'm a normal guy.
Thank you. That was recorded last Friday at Notes of Hope. Those are some of the storytellers who have gone through the creative writing program uh, hosted by HHH Foundation. This is the Nonprofit Hour. I am joined by Becky Bronstein, who is the MC for that, that event, and Jenny Conley, who is the music director. And and Jenny, let's 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 talk about you for a bit. Okay. So you you are you have a lot of different instruments you play. It's true. Um, keyboards, basically, though, anything that's a keyboard on it, I will play it. And I want to say that, I mean, because it doesn't always naturally come to people, I think, that an accordion has a keyboard attached to it. It's, well, some accordions don't, but mine does. It's called a piano accordion. I guess I play piano, organ, accordion, glockenspiel. It has a keyboard shape. So that's what I do with, um, for the Decemberists, Black Prairie, the Minus Five, other bands. I just love to play, so I just do it all the time. When did you start playing piano? When I was a child, you know, took lessons from se second grade on and got my degree in music from, from Oregon State and then happened to meet some some folks in college that were in a rock band and well that's the end of that story. Went on the road in 94 and haven't stopped. And how did you get involved with HHH Foundation? Probably more in a random, more random way than the rest of the group, but uh, just being friends with the folks at the Alberta Rose Theater. Three years ago, they were looking for music, because Notes of Hope was originally a concert. It was the it was the high school band concert at Bethany's school, and it was always just a music program that raised money. And then as the program, the benefit charity started to evolve, the storytelling became a real central part. So my job is to keep the music part there, and. As I said, I like the idea of like a live wire where you have a speaker, you have some comedy, then you have some music to sort of just change the ad, like wipe the slate clean. And this year I um, chose some really upbeat, fun bands. Trash Can Joe and Eric Stern from Vagabond Opera both represent to me like, f like fun and joy. And that's what we need to, we're trying to, our theme is cancer knocked and I answered, right? Is that yes, what it is? And it's more like- Say, say that one more time. <laughs> Cancer knocked and I answered. Okay. So opening oh, yeah. doors, kind of idea about coming out of the ashes and becoming a person again, finding yourself again after being broken down. And so we felt like we wanted some real upbeat, positive music this year. And I would, I would imagine now, so you've, the event's been happening for eight years and mm -hmm. you've been involved for three years and increasingly uh, either volunteering to, to be involved more or they've been pulling you in more, but you're now really the music director. It's true, and now I guess I'm the press gal too. I never, <laughs> I mean, you just sort of fall into these things and then I just love the organization so much and you're just, every year we start working on this in like March and it's this whole process. And I think also from going through cancer, I just, you feel like you have to do something after you kind of go over the hump, you're like, oh, there's, there's people still going through this. I need to help them with this process. And sometimes, sometimes having a, a fun event is the way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And who who's the audience that goes? I mean, obviously, you know, it's going to be friends and family, but you are creating an event that has a, a, an appeal way beyond that. This is not mm -hmm. just for friends and family. This is an event that... Somebody that wants to go to Livewire or wants to go to the Moth 
is going to want to go to this as well. That's what I think. And I think it's a really interesting focus group. And I, and people shouldn't be afraid of hearing these stories. And I think that's also part of the message too. that whole awareness piece, which I have that, that word <laughs> makes me cringe yeah. awareness, but so th- these are real people. You don't have to go and hear someone's cancer story and want to cry. You can hear that cancer story and want to feel like your heart got bigger or something. So I think there is an appeal. And of course the bands are people who I want to go see. Um, and then, um, just to feel good about yourself, you know? Come on, let's help these folks out. Jenny Connolly, uh, <laughs> music director for Notes of Hope, among many other roles that she plays <laughs> in, in local bands. Jenny, how about queuing us up for one of the bands that played at Notes of Hope to, to take us out? Let's hear from Eric Stern of Vagabond Opera. Very fun.
Thank you so much. I'm Eric Stern. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. This is Phil Bussey. It's the, been the Nonprofit Hour. I've been so pleased to speak with Becky Bronstein, who is the MC uh, and a local comedian, and Jenny Connolly, who is the music director for Notes of Hope, uh, which works to have fun as well as to help fund uh, HHH Foundation. Uh, people wanting more information or to make donations to the foundation can go where? They can go to notesofhopepdx.org, which is the Notes of Hope website, and there's links to more information and links to donate and support the cause. We also have a Facebook page up for Notes of Hope and for the event that you can go and kind of learn more about. Becky, Jenny, thank you both so much for coming in today. Thank you for doing all this great work for the foundation. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. We've now come to the end of this week's Nonprofit Hour show. We'd like to thank our studio guests on the show this week, Becky Bronstein and Jenny Conley from the Notes of Hope event benefiting the HHH Foundation, as well as all of the performers from the event, Trashcan Joe and Eric Stern of Vagabond Opera, and the storytellers, Remy Newhouse, Alyssa England, Brian Sabin, and Gay Ballard. All of them had compelling and moving stories to tell and we strongly encourage you to listen to them all by visiting our Nonprofit Hour SoundCloud page where you can hear them complete and unedited. The show has been produced and edited by myself, Jason Dennington, and is recorded at the production studios of X-Ray FM, as well as this week, live on location at the Alberta Rose Theatre. You can follow us on Facebook or via our Twitter handle, at Nonprofit Hour, and find archives of past shows on our SoundCloud page. We'd like to thank the Media Institute for Social Change, our regular hosts Phil Bussey and Julie Falk, KXRY Radio X-Ray FM, and most of all, to you, our regular listeners. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope to have you join us again next week at noon on Monday for the Nonprofit Hour show. As we conclude, we'd like to listen to one more song from Trash Can Joe that was particularly meaningful at last Friday's concert. I want to thank uh, Jenny for uh, asking us to be here. I know we uh, probably were asked to, to uh, bring a little levity to the, to the evening, uh, but I do want to do a song that... I had another song all, all worked out, but after uh, what's going on today, there's a song that we've been doing for many years that I really want to, want to sing for y'all. You can sing along with us if you like. <laughs> in the springtime I love Paris in the fall I love Paris in the summer when it sizzles I love Paris in the winter when it drizzles and I
Because my love lives there.